Hi, I'm Pawi, and you're listening to Rappler Podcasts. You're listening to Hustles Inside the Industry, where we talk to professionals and find out how they got here, why they're doing what they do, and what it takes to do it. As always, this is Pawi. And this is Tristan. We are part of Rappler's Hustle Team. So joining us today, we have the producer behind the Filipino-American country music film Yellow Rose, which stars Lea Salonga and Eva Noblezada, now playing on Netflix, so make sure to catch that. But aside from that, this person has helped produce other films like Lingua Franca and Calder Ganda, and all of these fueled by her passion for social change. And this is all part of an emerging movement which uh, has come to our radar called Impact Producing. So to tell us more about it, we have here Cecilia Mejia. Welcome, Cecilia. Hey, Cecilia. Hi. Hi from Brooklyn, New York. So, Cecilia, just to start things off, can you like give us a clear picture of what Impact Producing is? Uh, you ever you ever watched a movie um, and you're just you're kind of left with man, I want to do something, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to volunteer, or I'm like, ramped up to take action. That's, that's sort of what where impact producing comes into play. Impact producers take a look at a film. And we we think about how the power of this film can change culture can change society, or could even just um, open people's minds. And we, we create this, what we call a campaign, and think about all of the different calls to action. What can people do? What can people, um, how can people change their behaviors? How can they change their minds? What structures can we, can we try to, um, can, can we try to eliminate or try to put in place? How can we build communities? We, we think about all that stuff, but really at the core of it is just how, how do we use this powerful medium of film, which can pretty much reach a wider audience than most art mediums, and and how do we how do we use it or utilize it to create this long lasting impactful change in society? Wow. I don't want to be reductive, but like you know, when it comes to like marketing right now, a lot of people are saying, uh, "How's the conversion rate?" So it's like conversions yeah. have become part of the. I the, I was <laughs> gonna say Tristan, it's almost yeah. like it's like the other side of the coin of like yeah. commercial marketing. Yeah, it's the, it's that same energy, but for uh, we'll for just say for see, different yeah. means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it has a little bit of a marketing aspect to it, right? It's it's, it's just the the same essence, which is to like incite uh, something or elicit uh, something. But uh, before we get deep into that, Cecilia, we know uh, you have a lot to share about that. We want to talk about you first. I personally, uh, I've known you for a while. I know you have an interesting uh, background in terms of how you got into film in the first place. You came by way, I believe, of the nonprofit sector so can you share with our audience that story how did you wind up in film and how did that lead you to where you are now i actually i started off in the nonprofit world about a decade ago when i finished graduate school i finished uh with my master's in public administration and affairs with the idea that i would go into the public sector hopefully work for the government so i was working with the united nations and a couple of ngos mostly with the migrant community uh in education and uh, I was working in a DACA clinic when DACA is um, Deferred Action for Early Childhood Arrival, which is right. basically a program for undocumented youth here in the United States. It was initiated by Obama. Uh, and um, we were doing the legal clinics and we had one of our major like clients for the, for the Filipino organization I was working with was Jose Antonio Vargas. 
Uh, and so he's pretty visible. Right? Yeah, undocumented. Yeah, documented. Undocumented. Yeah. yeah, he was. He's famously um, on the cover as coming out as undocumented of uh, Times Magazine. So he was. He was pretty visible, and I think because of that. Um, a filmmaker by the name of Diane Paragas actually came to our organization for research on a film she was doing about an undocumented Filipino immigrant. Uh, and so she and I met that day and she, you know, had asked me if I could help her with the research. And so I, you know, got her, helped her get into detention centers. And we did a, we did a little short documentary and interviewed undocumented um, Filipinos and, and, sort of it snowballed into me coming in to help her write grants for the film and then associate producer and then and then became like full-fledged producer on wow. what became Yellow Rose. But um, that was like in between all of that, I got to do other films because after meeting Diane, which, you know, I never, I always loved film. I'd never met, like really met filmmakers before, let alone met a Filipino filmmaker, let alone a female Filipino filmmaker. So that was really like um, life-changing for me. And because after meeting her, I the door opened to meet so many other people. Like through along the way, I met PJ Raval, Gigi Dement, um, Clarissa de los Reyes, uh, HP Mendoza, all these other people. All great um, Isabel Sandoval. <laughs> yeah. Shout yeah, out just, Isabel. Yeah. I know. And so, um, you know, I, I'm really grateful for that. And it's like, I didn't really know that there were that many Filipino filmmakers out there, Filipino American filmmakers out there. But um, I've also was able to work with other filmmakers through um, different organizations um, in the nonprofit sector, actually. So I was working, I think at the time you and I had met, I was working for uh, an arts-based organization for teens. And we were yes. doing short films with, with established directors like, uh, Susan Seidelman was one, and so I was able to do a couple of like short films that way. So that was that was also an experience. But uh, now I'm sort of full fledged into film, but impact producing is the melding of those two worlds. On one part, I can relate to because I have a background in development communication. So you know that's like the nonprofit side of comms in the Philippines. So I just want to ask, like, um, you went from full time advocacy. Like um, working in a in a nonprofit, and often people think that it's not it's um it's often underlooked as like a lucrative career. But how do you like set it up as a livelihood? Like how did you reconcile um both your passion and your financial needs? <laughs> well, you know, well anyone knows that independent film is not lucrative either. So <laughs> being in both separately is not is not very lucrative for your career. However. Um, when I figured out that melding the two together in this space of impact, I sort of built this, um, there's a lot of social impact producers out there, don't get me wrong, but I think I've, I've had this, I've developed a little bit of a niche because I do know how to raise money. I, I am a producer, but I also have that social impact lens. Um, and I also have that, that master's, um, in public administration affairs. So it does sort of, um, kind of put me at a different skill set and, and I also because of that became an educator so it was like mm, I've had okay. to become I had to meld all of it to become sort of an entrepreneur which I always yeah. kind of avoided <laughs> trying to become but it, that's what it is like you I think um how I've tried to do that is really just sort of set myself apart um by building uh, a skill set of 
of things that you would need in a producer and an impact producer, but also uh, this uh, wealth of knowledge. I think it's, I'm always learning. I mean, I'm always gonna continue to learn, but I think the more that I understand social issues and how to, how to talk about them, the more, the more, um, more of an asset I become. So I think just sort of making yourself a little bit more marketable by educating yourself and also building your skill set. My skill set has been been what is working for me. Yeah, and you know, like a common theme, especially in podcasts like ours, which is like a career podcast, is the trajectory of uh, someone always waddling their way, you know, throughout their twenties, just like trying to figure things out, and then eventually the world Same. gives in a bit, right? <laughs> yeah, like this is what we're all going through now, right? But I think. Uh, a point of validation here, especially with impact producing, is like a sign that the world responds to that as well. Because now you have a reconciliation in the form of uh, this new term here, uh, which mm-hmm. you're going to educate all of us and our listeners on. So let's talk about impact producing. You said that there's there are other people out there doing this. Can you quickly tell us, like, how did this global movement um, take off and, and what were the reasons behind it? You know, I think it's it's always sort of been around, especially with documentary film. I, I don't know exactly like when it started becoming a term. Uh, like I, I think there's an article that that we I often pull up from PBS that like was early as 2013 uh, that talked about the need to have a person who uh, who has this out frame of mind of what the artistic vision is, but also can think in a lens of what the film can do as far as creating some sort of change or movement in the world. And so they essentially ended up calling that an impact producer. I think a lot of the root of who has done a lot of this like work is uh, Doc Society should really take a lot of credit for what they've done. It's really activism in the form of art. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a skill set. So, you know, I was listening to this podcast <laughs> the other day. Um, I think it was a TED Talk podcast, but it was with this um, uh, this comic book artist, R. Allen Brooks. And he um, ta- basically talks about how he was, wasn't, he was like this nerd, this comic book nerd and wanted to draw for a living, but became... Um, you know, he became an accountant. Then he just, all of these things in the world were happening like with Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. And he decided that he, his real calling was to become an artist. Uh, and so he became a comic book artist, but he would use this art to, he would use it to really talk about like these social issues. And so, you know, he asked people this question, you know, when the world is burning or when the world is on fire, does art really matter? And his answer was, yes, it does. Because if you really look back in history, it's really art that has changed the culture. Mm-hmm. Like if you, you think about um, Hitler, he he basically, um, he said artists were vigilantes or he like put them in a cage or he, he um, you know, even all these dictators always sort of um, said that artists were, were, um, were really fighting against the system. And, yeah. and even now, I think, you know, you if you watch <laughs> the Oscars, like it was, everyone was like, it's such a boring Oscar. Everybody was talking about this just as And I was like, it's because you removed all of the, the like the pageantry of it. And now you yeah. see like people are now talking about what these films mean to them. So every single person that went up there talked about I love those Oscars anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> I did too. Like every, I mean, it was just, I thought it was cool. Cause I thought everybody had, you know, talked about how their art has a purpose. I'm not someone who can go out there and protest. That's not been in my blood. And I, and it's not to say that you shouldn't do that, but that's just not who I am. I think everyone has their own personal call to action. And mine is really utilizing this, this medium of art and, and sparking even just a discussion. I think if that, if that, if anything. Speaking of art as activism, like how can we forget Jose Rizal, like yeah. <laughs> our national yeah. hero, um, mm-hmm. sparked a revolution through books. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and pageantry Miss Myanmar right now. Like she's a refugee. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. she uh, held that sign. So anyway, that that idea deeply resonates with me because I joined Raptor like with the same idea, like coming from from a corporate background and then jumping to Raptor to like actualize um, my advocacy. So anyway, um. Speaking of advocacy, Cecilia, this role, impact producing, is it is it something that's um, largely film focused, or are are we seeing this role occupy across all industries? Like, is it part of the larger movement? You know, that's a great question. It, I think it really is because I've seen it. Um, I've seen like advertising agencies have like a they've built like sector sectors that talk about social impact. Uh, so they're being really conscious about that. They're, uh, you know, even um, I've even had experiences where people are thinking about TikTok videos. Yeah. Um, a lot of my students have th- thought about like um, using TikTok as a medium, and they said they've done it. We, I've even had conversations recently of like um, with longer form documentary. How do we, how do we like take pieces of it? and create like smaller smaller shorter form content because that's how that's really how people view content these days anyway Mm -hmm. especially young people they uh you know i read this article where young people click tend to click on things and that's how they find stuff whereas like the older generation is actually actively looking so it is i see it in different mediums Mm -hmm. i see it in photography i actually see it in music um i've done i've done music and audio pieces too so it is. I think it's it's a general how to utilize um, art, but it really has started with film, um, documentary film for the most part, because it is it is one of those mediums that you know everybody, most people watch movies. Now, um, we always have to talk about this uh, in episodes these days, and um, especially with you, I think um, maybe there are certain uh, specifics. Um, I'm talking about the pandemic here. If anything, the pandemic has kind of like revealed a lot of holes in society and like the the world we've built so um, my question to you is how has the ongoing crisis impacted impact producing if ever has it kind of like stifled it because it stifled like production in general or has it somehow like empowered it um have have has there been some sort of harmony uh between the ongoing crisis and this impact producing movement that's a good question. It's. I think it's empowered. I, I. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm seeing it. It's empowered it. I actually, you know, I remember early on in the pandemic, a lot of people were so de- like, you know, down and out that these this these films, these television shows, these, you know, they wouldn't. They were on pause for a while. Um, but I often remember telling people and having this exact conversation that at some point the world is going to need, uh, you know, what we do. Because there's going to be a lot of reckoning, which you know, <laughs> 2020 was definitely a year of reckoning, and I think we're still in the midst of all that reckoning. Um, so I think in many ways it's um, 
embolden people. They say 2020 was like the, the year that we all kind of got started to see a little bit clearly. So I think um, in many ways it sort of sparked it. I see it like as a trending thing in some spaces and I don't want it to be that either. Yeah. I don't need people, I kind of want it to, you know, it shouldn't be an afterthought. That's what I always tell people. It's not, and it also shouldn't be, you know, I don't want it to be mixed in with this, this, these terms of like social justice warrior or like cancel culture. Yeah, I mean, that's not how I, that's not how I, I mean, maybe everybody's different. I mean, everybody's different, but how I envision this impact producing is really this, um, the root of it is to create some, it's to create empathy. And that's how change happens. So that's what, that's what I, how I view, how I view a social impact producing. And uh, in, the, in order for us to, to build this empathy, we have to see stories. And this, how do we see stories? We see them through art. So I think that's really what has, I mean, I, I think we're going to see a ton of content. And actually, I'm getting a lot of people asking for impact producers these days to the point where I keep, like, I'm having to, like, well, maybe you can look at my other colleague because <laughs> it's starting to come a lot of stuff. But um, I do, you know, I do think that that it's definitely sparked. Um, you know, like I said, the Oscars was totally different this year. Everybody's like, you know, now they're realizing. Even for me, I, I think even before the pandemic, I kept saying, oh, I don't want to be known as the Filipino producer, <laughs> the producer that that produced all this Filipino content. But then after the pandemic, I'm like, why not? Who yeah. else is going to do it? Yep. So I think that's also part of it. I think people are just more emboldened now to tell stories and to and to really create some sort of um, long-lasting change with it. Yeah, and I think like now more than ever, like we need to be like called to act. We need mm -hmm. more action. It's like we spend the last two years languishing. Um, I think that's something that that we really need these days. So anyway, um, Cecilia, you talked about um projects. So we want to ask, like, New York, New York, it's slowly opening up, like, films from started resuming. So can you, like, give us a sneak peek of, like, what projects are keeping you b busy these days? Um, well, you know, uh, interesting enough, with Yellow Rose, we were, we've been given the opportunity to do an impact campaign, which was always a dream of mine. Um, so it's almost coming full circle. So we're going to be doing something with that, which is really exciting for me because what I wanted to do and what I'm hopefully going to be able to accomplish with it with the help of a team and also with Diana as well, because she's been really great with wanting to do stuff, is create a curriculum um, that will go along with the film, but we'll talk about Filipino-American history, which is not wow. talked about at, at all in schools. So we've actually started those discussions with high schools and colleges. So now this, the film is actually available um, through from, from kindergarten to 12th grade, senior year of high school here in the nice. States, should they want to license it and education. utilize it. So yeah, so it's in the education sector. So we actually have presented it to a couple of high schools already for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I, and I don't want this to just be like, you know, a little blip. <laughs> when it, I want it to be like the continuation of what we're calling a movement because it there's a lot of Filipino content that's come out. But even then, um, beyond like just not just but beyond Filipino stories, I've gotten um, some really great um, upcoming projects. They're coming up. There's I have a I have a Netflix project that I've, I've come on as an impact producer, and that's going to be a pretty big. Um, it's a it's a very Brooklyn heavy. Uh, I'll say it has a lot. It has original music. It's athletic. It's sort of in my wheelhouse. Nice. Brooklyn okay. Music. I'm pumped. Yeah. Athletic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
It's, it, it's actually going to it's okay. going to world premiere in in, uh, in Tribeca next month, nice. and then it'll be available on Netflix in June. Yeah, so that those are those are things coming up with impact producing. But I have I do also have other stuff that I'm producing sure. with impact in mind. So I have I have a documentary series with PJ Raval that we've been working Yay. on. We actually worked through the pandemic with it. We won a grant um, with the Center for Asian American Media and the MacArthur Foundation, and we were supposed to start shooting March of 2020. And yeah. so <laughs> it was it's a it's a Filipino series called documentary series called Kapwa. And we actually pivoted and filmed it through COVID. And it's really exciting. It explores Philippine everyday Filipinos. Um, it starts in Texas and how they've dealt with COVID and and the different um, issues that came along uh, and all the reckonings. <laughs> but we're actually continuing some of it and hoping to fill film here in the in the East Coast um, some people in the healthcare industry but that should be hopefully coming out soon at least a couple of episodes um and then i'm also working with clarissa de los reyes who uh yeah so we're working on a couple of projects together so hopefully that comes into fruition nice um shout out to pj raval by the way tristan um i believe people can catch call her gunda you want to plug that in where can people yeah people can catch it on viva max so awesome it's an app, so um, if if people are not aware, like Viva Max right now, it's um it's available in Apple, wherever you get your apps. It's basically a stream service, so it's there. Awesome. I, got, I got to see it there actually. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So um okay, well Cecilia, we're wrapping up quite nicely. Just a few more questions. When I when I heard you talking about uh how you're marketing Yellow Rose to the education sector now, I was like, oh, it's almost like a book tour, you know? It, <laughs> it's like showing how like fluid. Uh, the film industry can be uh, how how like adaptive it can be. So uh, my my question for you is, you know, as we move towards hopefully a post pandemic near future, uh, what are your predictions for uh, the face of like indie film producing and impact producing, especially, um, especially in light of what you mentioned earlier, um, the reckoning that's about to come. I know that there's a lot of content that's going to be made. I know that there's a lot of eyes looking on, um, you know, diversity in front of and behind the camera. But what I've, you know, what I've sort of, what I'm paying attention to a lot more these days is um, Asian American representation because it seems to be, um, you know, we we're we're still we're still just a footnote in in everything. We're still just a footnote in media. And I, uh, you know, even with the last two years with uh, with Minari or and with No Bedland, with Goe Jiao, with you know, with Parasite, with just all of these things, even with Yellow Rose, you know, Lingua Franca, all those things coming out, we're still um, I think it's still it's just the beginning. I wanna see a lot more. I think that's gonna change. I really think that we're gonna see a lot more Asian American content and not just, you know, the typical Asian Americans that people are used to. Um, but you know, Filipinos need to be a lot more visible. Um you know, East East Asian people, Southeast Asian people need to be a lot more visible. You know, we, we're, we're often sort of talking about, uh, and this is a, a big discussion and impact as well, like who gets to tell the story? Uh, and so who's, you know, who are the storytellers? Who gets to tell whose story? Who gets to tell the story of what community? I see that often. And what I want to see is just not just this question of it, but I want to see this conversation of it. And I also am seeing it. I want to see solidarity. I want to see communities come together and say, let's tell this story together. Because, you know, often, more often than not, our, our humanity is very similar. 
So, you know, or we have the same human values. So I want to see, uh, and I'm and I'm seeing it, this collaboration between independent film producers um, from all different sectors to really band together and support each other in this in this in our storytelling because it, I think, you know, what what made what the pandemic did was it made the world a little bit smaller. I don't think we're we need, um, uh, not that we don't need it, and not that we're hungry for it, but people can absorb any kind of content. <laughs> That's what it showed. We don't need to have, you know, it doesn't need to be this big Hollywood film in order for it to be seen. I think that's what this pandemic proved. Just to wrap things up, can you share any last bits of advice for aspiring film producers who are looking to make an impact, who want to follow in the footsteps of becoming an impact producer? Everybody has their role to play in a film. Um, even if you're the producer or you're the director, no one person I think is more important than the other. I often think of things in teams. So we have to think about what's like, you know, what's the best thing for the film. And, you know, and, and so you got to really think that way, I think. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important thing I think, I believe, is you really got to feel passionate about the story. Even even in, if you're thinking about it through this lens of impact, because if you're not, you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> you're not going to have fun. Um, but also it's gonna you're gonna see on camera when someone's not passionate about it or you're gonna see it when the film comes out. Um, but it's also you're gonna be with that film for a long time. You're gonna be with those people for a long time. Uh, you have to be passionate about it because it, it is it is it is your what it is what you um, it becomes a part of you like it yellow rose has been 10 years. I think it's gonna be part of my life for the rest of my life. So that's something that you really need to think about. But um, you know, the best advice I'll, I'll, I'll probably have ever gotten in my life and will probably be able to ever give is really no one is better than anyone. <laughs> I think just learn from each other. Um, I, I didn't get where I was if I didn't have um, uh, all of these other female producers like Teresa Navarro or Gigi Dement sort of like helping me and guiding me through. So uh, just remember that you're just no one is better. Than, you're not better than Yay. anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love very um, in, inspirational and also uh, humbling as well. Um, on that note, uh, thanks so much, Cecilia. We're gonna mm -hmm. wrap things up now with what we always do, which is our play of the week. Yay, play of the week! <laughs> we, now we have big news. Uh, well, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Um, so we talked a lot about work. Now let's talk about play. Any fun activities or recommendations for our listeners to unwind from the busyness of business? You know, what's been uh, a new thing here in the U.S. is this thing called pickleball. <laughs> about the other day. It's like a it's like a it's like ping pong and tennis combined and it's like smaller spaces. So I think that I just seen that that's kind of fun. Um, but also, it? yeah, it's like. <laughs> It's like a it's like you're kind of on top of a big ping pong table, basically. Oh Just imagine gosh. cutting wow. a tennis court in half. So I think that's fun. But um I you know what this pandemic also taught me? I never spent this much time outdoors. So uh play, uh, yeah. I like first time I ever bought myself a folding bike. So bike. <laughs> I think that's in a new thing. I I've seen a lot of people in the Philippines doing like bike uh, biking, biking is huge here now. now right Just yeah yeah even yeah. without bike lanes <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but if you want to really unwind and just watch tv i recommend the show rami on rami. amazon yes. oh rami yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah i love that show yeah 
Awesome. Tristan, what about you? Talagang last pawi kasi. No, I'm always last. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I googled pickleball, and I think we have we need to have that in the Philippines. That looks okay. Cool. I'm gonna look it fun. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, for me, speaking of film film representation, stream sour. <laughs> Hashtag stream sour. Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's it's, true. Yeah, it's quite nice. It's like um, it reminds me of like um, it reminds me of Veruca Salt, Nazi Star, those '90s um, alt rock bands anyway um but aside from that um i've been watching castlevania on netflix yes me too <laughs> yeah so like, i only yeah. learned about it i mean i knew about it like the past years but i never really tried it then i've been binging it since the weekend so yeah it's it's really complex like it takes the concept of the game basically um a group of hun- um magicians hunters um dracula's son, dracula's son and they basically go against the king bat himself, Dracula. And then, yeah. like, what I like about it, it's that it takes the, the storytelling of the game, but makes it uh, more palatable. And at the same time, it, um, the writer, Warren Ellis, he yes. injects a lot of um, <laughs> politicking within the From the, the comics ranks. world. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Transmet. Yes. So, nice. that's what I've been watching. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think... Uh, the reason why Tristan and I are both watching Castlevania right now, other than that um, its last season just came out. Tresse? <laughs> yes, we're super excited yeah, for Tresse, so same. make sure people all around the world catch it. June 11, we gotta support our people. Yeah, right, Cecilia? that's like the fifth time someone has said that, so yes. Yes, yes, yes. The, the cast think, is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything, I think everyone should go out there and uh, who's listening should go and support Filipino content. Yes, for sure. Um, well, okay. So speaking of which, Tristan kind of gave away that I have big news. So this is one of my like few like news plugins, but it is it is fairly a play of the week. Um, I just got accepted as one of thirty three uh, scriptwriters into the Ricky Lee scriptwriting workshop. I'm super stoked about that. Um, as someone who came from Cecilia's world, which is like the U.S. indie filmmaking world. Uh, as screenwriters, we aspire to, you know, your Sundance Labs, Austin Film Festival, your Nichols Fellowships. But here in the Philippines, we have the master Ricky Lee. So, and it turns out that a lot of our good friends uh, graduated from this workshop as well. Uh, they're doing it this year in uh, partnership with Cinemalaya. So it's also like me being a part of Cinemalaya somehow. So I'm just like super stoked to just learn again. I think that's uh, what everyone is doing right now during this pandemic. Uh, it starts June 9th, and it's an intensive eight-week process, and I am super grateful for it. Yeah. Hey, congrats. <laughs> Thanks. So, so yeah, I'll keep you posted on that. Anyway, Cecilia, uh, wonderful conversation. Any last plugs? How can people keep up with you and your films? You can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> but I, I'm actually, I have, um, I'm starting my own uh, social impact company, which is called Remedius. Remedias, spell my, it out. Yeah, my, my R-E-M-E-D-I-A-S. Awesome. It's actually a play on my middle name. My middle name, I'm named after my grandmother. So she, oh. she says, this is all, uh, yeah, I never got to meet her, but I heard she was, she was an educator and she was uh, a, 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 a woman of service in the community in the Philippines. So um, it's a play on her name. Amazing. And then what about a- any film plugs? Where can people catch uh, sure. films playing? 
They can uh, find Yellow Rose on Netflix uh, in yep. the Philippines, Lingo Franca as well. And um, of course, um, Call Her Gunda and Viva Max. Um, then there's, uh, you know, uh, other films will be coming out soon on Amazon as well. So. Okay. Well, we'll and keep Netflix. everyone posted. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for joining us. So late over there in Brooklyn. A wonderful convo. Thank you. And thank you out there for listening. If you haven't already, please stay tuned to Hustle Inside the Industry on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple, where you can leave us a rating, by the way. That would help us a lot. Most of all, don't forget to hit that follow button. You say that the DOJ has a very clear concept of what a terrorist is, but it was also the DOJ who filed the prescription case. Well, I would like to think that that, would, that is a real, you know, that's a real lesson. Is there a risk, though, that we will never know the state of his health ever again? We can end up that way, in the same way that uh, the Supreme Court has rendered several constitutional provisions inert. How hopeful are you that this Supreme Court, under this administration, will exhibit a proactive attitude towards protecting human rights? What is before us is a Supreme Court that has overwhelmingly, for a few exceptions, one or two, in favor or on the side of the state power. A law that is not understood is a law that is easy to weaponize. I am Lian Buan, Rappler's Justice Reporter. Listen to Law of the Turtle Land podcast, and together with leading lawyers of the country, let's unpack the pressing legal issues and the Duterte government.